in our country, we really put so much value on our value as people is defined by what we do. So I think that it's ironic in that we put that value there, but we don't teach people how to find work. We don't have a culture that supports us as we move in and out in an, in what really is a, a natural wave. So we sort of have people who are in this situation. They think, Oh, I have to update my resume. Oh, I have to start clicking apply. And unfortunately, that's precisely the kind of cycle that is fraught with obstacles and disappointments and really doesn't set us up for success. That's career coach Sarah Baker Andrews talking about one of the big mistakes that most of us tend to do when we need to look for a quote-unquote job. And in this episode, we're going to explore more effective strategies that can help us when we either by choice or necessity find ourselves needing to make a career transition in midlife. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show about life in the middle. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster, and of course, your host. And there's one thing you should know about me right away. I am not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Midlife Cues, the digital publication for the over 40 about getting stronger, wiser, and bolder in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe for free at midlifecues.com. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. Today, we're talking about career transitions. And if you've been a long-time listener of the podcast, you know that uh, we used to talk all the time about career pivots and reinventions on the show. We have over 100 stories in the archive of folks who have made a career change. Many of them were from like a corporate career to freelancing or entrepreneurship. But there are other versions of career transitions that happen in midlife that don't lead to starting a business or going off on our own necessarily. Sometimes what we want or need is another job. And there are two situations I thought that were particularly relevant to midlifers. One, the situation where someone's been away from work for a while, maybe they've taken a career break for family or health reasons, and now after this long break, they're looking to get back to work. The other situation is when someone with years and years of experience is laid off in their late 40s or 50s and they aren't yet ready to retire from corporate life. And so they're, they're looking for another job. I thought those situations pose unique challenges that need specific strategies. 
And so I have invited Sarah Baker Andrews to help us really explore the possibilities and think about what needs to be part of our job hunting plans. Sarah has worked on all sides of the hiring equation, serving as a career counselor, a recruiter, a hiring manager, and today she is the founder of Avara Careers, a career coaching business where she helps others figure out what kind of work will make them feel great about getting out of bed in the morning, which, you know, obviously we all want that. So we're going to talk about those two situations that I mentioned. We're going to talk about strategies, techniques that can make this midlife career transition just a little easier, just a little less stressful. I would love to hear from you as you're listening to this podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Blazer or email me, lou at secondrakes.com. I would love to hear from you. Let's talk about that scenario where the person is itching to go back to work and has been away for, let's just say, five years and longer and want to re-enter the workplace. What's a good approach to re-entry? And maybe let's just say, because there are two scenarios here. One is they want to go back to what they've done before, what they've already had experience with and expertise. And the other is they want to go back to work, but not necessarily doing what they used to do. Sure. Uh, You know, there are are a lot of nuances here. And I think, unfortunately, and kind of ironically, you know, in our country, we really put so much value on our value as people is defined by what we do. So I think that it's ironic in that we put that value there, but we don't teach people how to find work. We don't have a culture that supports us as we move in and out in an, in what really is a, a natural wave as we grow and develop as adults. Mm. Um, we don't teach people how to do this. So instead of a conventional wisdom, we sort of have a conventional ignorance where, where people who are in this situation, they think, Oh, I have to update my resume. Oh, I have to start clicking apply. And unfortunately, that's precisely a, the kind of cycle that is fraught with obstacles and disappointments and really doesn't set us up for success. So this question of how do we reenter the workforce? Um, it reminds me of Kathy, who was a, uh, an accountant on the partner track at a well-known accounting firm. And she left that role to stay home with her children and, you know, when, when we met, she'd been out of the workplace for a, a long time. And while she had kept her CPA current, that was great. We were talking about next steps. I also heard that she really needed a plan and that she was dealing with a lot of negative self-talk. That was something that I knew we would want to dive into before we got started. And what were these doubts in her mind? And as we're listing them out together, she was talking about technologies and systems that had changed. The whole world of how work got done changed. Uh, she'd lost touch with people who and wondered who would want to hear from her anyway. And she was telling herself she didn't have much to offer. 
and we're going through this and my heart's going out to her because I see her as very capable. And we began asking, is that true? For each of these things that we listed, was this true? Was this a deficit? Or was this merely a story that she was telling herself, a fear that she had? And as we identified and, and, and teased these out, I actually did see a physical change in her. She was sitting up a little bit straighter. She started to see perhaps there is a path forward. And she was clearly less fearful. And when it came to strategy, we looked at the legitimate concerns and we addressed those. And in her case, that meant going to some professional development courses and focusing on some target organizations that dealt with the kind of accounting that she wanted to do now. And with that combination of carefully monitoring her mindset, refreshing those skills, she was able to land a job as a controller for a large nonprofit here. And it's been a great fit for her. So, I mean, there are certainly certain types of work or industries where for, for the most part, the, the core of it hasn't changed. So I was an accountant, was a CPA a long time ago. And so obviously a lot of the tools have changed. There are now automated ways of, you know, doing a lot of the things that we did manually when I was in school or when I was just starting out in my career. But at the end of the day, the principles of accounting are the same. It's not like accounting in the, you know, the rules of debit and credit and financial reporting and what's an asset and what's a liability. Those are still the same, right? And so for me, if I were to go back to the field, there might be some training that I might do to update my skills on the latest tools that accountants are now using. So I can see that on the other hand, there are also certain fields that have really changed dramatically. Mm. Like, so for example, if you were in marketing before, and if you've been away from marketing in five years, 10 years, I mean, marketing has changed drastically. Dramatically with digital media. Right, Absolutely. exactly. So I think there are certain types of work that it's changed. The nature of the work itself has changed. And so how, how does someone who wants to go into those, go back to their roots when, when it's changed a lot? How do they, what do you think they should do in order to do a proper assessment of whether the story that they're telling themselves is true, as in there's really a technical gap here that we need to fill, or if it's a story that they're telling themselves. I think what's distinguishing the, the, the nuance here between, you know, how separated we are with our skills and how, how stale they may have become is, uh, it, it comes to, you know, are you able to seamlessly move into a role? Mm. Right. And in marketing, chances are the answer would be no. Chances are the answer would be you need to retool and, and get perhaps, you know, a, uh, a, a certificate, mm. perhaps. And this doesn't mean like going back to school. People get very burdened by that concept. I uh, was talking to a client who uh, was a school teacher and left teaching, and she is looking to move into uh you know, what I would call a skill adjacent role. Mm -hmm. And, and she was concerned about this 
thought she had in her head that she needed to go back to school. But there are so many, so many online resources that allow us to quickly retool. So she's specifically interested in quality assurance and analytics. And so there are free YouTube videos you can watch on these topics. There's Coursera, there's Udemy, there's Teachable. They don't require the investment that going back to your local university might require. And at the same time, I do want to point out that our community colleges are wonderful sources of current uh, training in workforce development. That's their mission. And mm-hmm. so they, they frequently are working with local employers to ensure that they are offering certificates and short courses that would get somebody quickly up to speed in an area that is in demand right now. I wanted to put a pin on what you said, if I understood correctly. You said that the, the question to ask yourself is... Am I able to seamlessly yes. slide into a role or assume a role? And I thought that was a great sort of litmus test, right? So are you suggesting literally looking at, say, a job description and asking yourself, how easily would I be able to assume this role? I think that's a good place to start. However, I would add that it's not near enough. The best way to to do this litmus test, and I think that's a good word for it, um, is to reach out to people who are in those roles. And you don't need to know them. It, you know, it used to be people would say, it's all about who you know. And now I would say it's all about who you choose to meet. Because platforms like LinkedIn and even Twitter and Instagram give us opportunities for connecting with people who are doing interesting things that we have questions about. And this makes all of us uncomfortable. However, 85% of people who found new jobs in 2019, which is the latest statistics I have from LinkedIn and Forbes, 85% of those people found those jobs by connecting with someone. So it may be uncomfortable, but it's also become very, very normal. And so if you, if it makes you feel better, just know that it's normal. And then the other thing I want to point out is that most of us want to pay it forward. Somebody helped us in the process of our being where we are. And the other thing to keep in mind is that you're not asking anyone for a job. You're saying, hey, Sarah, you know, I see you're in marketing. I see you've been in marketing for 10 years. I um, I think you have some really interesting background. I'm thinking about making a career pivot. And I wonder if you'd be open to a brief chat about what would be required for me to do that. That is awesome. I love that. I was going to ask for an example script because I know this is a stumbling block. I hear this it all is. the time, right? It how is. do I reach out to be? How do I ask? Because there is a fear that I, I think because internally we know that at the end of the day, we're looking for a job. And so there's always that guilt that I'm reaching out to Sarah because I'm looking for a job, but that's not necessarily the next step. The next step is just having a chat. It's having a chat and you're actually not ready to look for a job yet. That's a good point. And so we can take that guilt away. So it's like I'm on research mode. 
That is exactly the word. You are doing research. Consider yourself an investigative journalist to Mm -hmm. find out more about, in this example, digital marketing, Mm -hmm. or to find out more about social media, Mm -hmm. or to find out more about fill in the blank. This, you are uh, on a mission to become an expert in the skills that are required to land that kind of a job. That is great. So then... It, because you're doing that, because you're actually talking to someone who's in the field, then you're not guessing whether your skills have atrophied or whether you need to go back to school or what even kind of course you need to take because you're actually no. hearing from someone who's actually who's doing in it. that right, work. Right. And ideally, a hiring manager, somebody right. who regularly looks at resumes in this field, who mm-hmm. routinely hires people in this field. Mm-hmm. And what, and then, you know, the next question that frequently will come up that, that I'll get, um, and I'll go back to uh, the example of the math teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she needed to talk to some people who were doing quality assurance. And, and she said, well, you know, what do I even ask them? Yeah. Okay, so they say, yes, they'll talk to me. And then what? <laughs> <laughs> and the beauty here is that you only need a few open-ended questions. Things like, you know, tell me a little bit about your career path. How mm-hmm. did you get into this field? Mm-hmm. And asking people, you know, they're experts in themselves. Asking people to talk about themselves is always a good place to start. And then another great question is, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what skills lead to success in this field. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about everybody who's doing this work, what distinguishes the people who are most successful? Yeah. And you really only need a few questions because it's going to become a conversation. And the more open-ended, the better. And ask the questions you wish you could ask in an interview. Like, I'm just curious. Could you, could you tell me what is an entry-level starting salary in this role? I'm really curious. And I, right? Yes. Now, that information is also available on places like glassdoor.com and other, you know, Google is our friend here. We can, we can, uh, we can Google these questions, but it's nice to, to ask the questions. You know, for example, if I started in a social media coordinator role, how, how long might it be before I could expect to advance into a management role? You know, it, it just feels more like a conversation and it feels more like truly being helpful. And people like to be helpful. Give people a way to help you. I really want to put a pin on that one too, because so to just to kind of give a personal example. So I've been podcasting for four years. Every now and again, I'll get a, a, a request or somebody who I peripherally know or not know very well who would ask me, if I don't mind, they're thinking of starting a podcast, would I mind just chatting with them? And I always say yes to those things. So seriously, and, and, and people are always saying to me, oh my God, you spend so much time with me talking about this, so grateful. But for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I just learned this four years ago and whatever I can do to share whatever my experience has been, if I can help yes. you, it's awesome for me. So yes, yeah, so if you're listening right now and you're thinking, can I really ask this 
quote unquote favor, really you can, because I always say yes to those kinds of asks. It's fun to be able to talk about those kinds of things. And I would add that it's more of more than a favor. I would bet that, um, that when people ask you pointed questions about podcasting, it helps you crystallize in your mind how you did this. And that reinforces uh, what you've learned, which mm-hmm. is always a good thing. And it may even spark new ideas and uh, help you in your continued process because we're never done learning. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely attest to that. Many times I would finish those conversations. And I'm like, whoa, I've learned a lot. And I think we all feel that way. I know I feel that way when people talk to me and they want to know, you know, more about, you know, more of an informational interview with me and how I started my business, which is a frequent question, you know, how did you know you would be an entrepreneur? And, and I always learn something. It's not, it's not strictly a favor. If you approach it with an open heart, it's really mutually beneficial. So the moral lesson is just ask. Just ask, and the worst scenario is they say, no, I'm busy right now, but that's not so bad. Most of the time, you're going to hear a yes, and it's not, you know, the person's also... That's another thing, right? Because we're going, what do I give back in return? Well, the conversation in itself is a gift to the person. It is. It's already a return to the person who's being asked. So, yes, absolutely. I thought I heard you use the word, but I certainly want to go there, is this network issue, right? Especially for people who've been away for a while and have not kept in touch, because why would you keep in touch with everybody else if you're, you know, doing something different, right? And so they feel like, well, my network has gone cold. I feel bad reaching out to people who I haven't talked to in three years, four years, and all of a sudden I'm reaching out to them. What do you think about that, Sarah? I'm sure you've heard this many times. (laughs) Not only have I heard it, but I've experienced it. And it reminds me of a former colleague who reached out to me on LinkedIn. And his first line after, hi, Sarah, (laughs) was, I know 13 years is a long time. (laughs) And what I loved about that was how completely transparent he was and how that just invited me in. And he owned it. And then he moved to not why he was reaching out, but what he remembered about me, which was brilliant. Great strategy. He he said, I know this seems odd, but I remember you as somebody I thoroughly enjoyed working with. You always seemed like a really generous person and smart. All right. So he flattered me a little bit. That was awfully nice. Now, do you think I kept reading? Of course course. I did. (laughs) And then he got to the point of his message, which was not ultimately what his ask was. It was just would I be open to a conversation with him? And honestly, this is not, I I don't, I think networking carries a lot of baggage. And I prefer to speak of this in terms of connections and relationships. And this was a guy I had a connection with. I remembered him as fondly as he remembered me, even though it had been 13 years. Mm-hmm. I was excited when I saw his name pop up in my message box. I, I was curious and I wanted to know more. And so was I open to a conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. Did I know he was going to ask me for something? Yes, I did. And it, 
it was just not a problem. It was not a problem. And to your point that you made earlier, I'm sure some people never opened the message or might have taken the time to get back to him and say no. But there's no harm done to us yes. when that happens. It it might hurt, but it's not even really a rejection. It really is about the other person, about their priorities and about their attention level. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with us. So why not ask? I don't think it's ever too late to hear from somebody that I really liked. And I also use this as a gauge. If you liked them, they liked you. Oh, I like that. Yes. It's just a true thing. If you connected with them. At the very least, there's a curiosity of what yes. is, what has Sarah been up to yes. all these years, right? That's right. Right. So I, uh, many, many years ago, I can't remember who said this in one of the books I read, but uh, the person was saying how if you don't ask, then you wouldn't have reconnected with the person. If the person said no, then you'd still be in the same place anyway. It's not like you That's got right. worse. It's no. the same place that you would have been anyway. That's right. So there's there's only gain to be had if you asked. No By loss. the way, uh, the conversation went really well. And I was able to help him out. I was happy to help him out. But more importantly... He really helped me out. He was able to refer a few clients to me once he knew what I was doing. And so it goes both ways. And it's not, the important thing is we can't look at this as a transactional one and done. It's about the relationship. It's about the connection. And if you lead with that, you will have a positive outcome most of the time. What about, moving on to a different scenario, Sarah, what about the, the situation where, you know, we've been laid off, we're senior level person or, you know, prof- experienced professional, and we've been laid off, and now we have to go back, we don't necessarily want to go uh, retire completely, and now we're in a situation where we're having to apply, and this is so common, I hear this uh, all the time from colleagues of mine, Oh, you're too qualified, which we all know mm. is code for something. Yeah. And I read uh, articles, advice about how to quote unquote age proof your resume so that, you know, things like that. How do you advise someone who is in that situation? Where do we even begin? Well, first of all, I want to say that we have to begin with compassion. Mm hmm. We just have to, because this can be devastating. So many of us identify, you know, profoundly with mm-hmm. what we do. And, and, you know, I've been through a layoff myself. And in my case, it was a gift uh, because it enabled me to take some time to decide what was next. Mm-hmm. And that led to of our careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very happy to be doing this. And I, I think that when... When we're laid off, it's it, it's often an assault to who we are as a person, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. If we look at it as an opportunity, which is hard, I think we need to, and I know this may sound a little bit too much, but I believe we need to grieve before mm-hmm. we um, can really take meaningful action steps. I think we need to, to allow some space for that process. 
and uh, that will help ensure a better result. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Jeff, who was laid off from a, a big media company, and um, and he pivoted into uh, a, a different role of mortgage banking. And it just wasn't a fit for him. And that's, that's how I met him mm-hmm. <laughs> was that he, um, he moved too quickly and didn't take the time to really be thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. And, and we all understand that we, we do. I mean, it's so natural to say, Oh, I have to, I have to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And then it's not just about us. It's about our partners, about our family. It's about our financial obligations. So where, where we start, I think is just acknowledging that. So the tendency we have when we're in this situation is to immediately start applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake. Uh, Instead, what I recommend, and uh, I think it's proven to be very successful for for my clients in helping them navigate what's a really horrific process, is a skills inventory. And by that, I mean we have to become absolutely fluent in what we offer. It, we have to do an exhaustive examination. So with Jeff, who I mentioned, the mortgage banker or who used to be managing a, a massive customer experience operation, he went through and developed uh, stories around his accomplishments that helped us tease out skills. So as we're talking about a, a huge accomplishment in improving customer experience by more than uh, 20% in my recollection. As we're talking about this, and I'm asking him, well, how did that happen? He, he, and he's saying, well, there was, a, there was a collaborative process between these departments, and we did a lot of surveying of our customers. And as he's walking me through how he accomplished that 20% increase, I'm writing down the skills. I'm hearing collaboration. I'm hearing teamwork. I'm hearing financial acumen. I'm hearing uh, listening to customers, analytics, huge survey process, brilliant analytical mind. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also hearing innovation, thinking of new ways to approach this challenge that they were having. I'm hearing courage and kind of a leadership skills of raising up another way to do it that was completely different than anything they'd done before. Now, every one of us who's ever been laid off, we have times in our careers, where we can look back and say, I did something there. And my suggestion is that you look back at those times and tease out the skills and make a complete skills inventory. One of the big mistakes I see people in these situations do is on their LinkedIn profile or on their resume summary at the top, it'll say, more than 20 years experience. Please know. We don't want to lead with our experience because, you know, most hiring managers know that years of experience doesn't always mean years of building skills. You know, you can have five years of progressive experience. You can have five years representing one year of doing X, right? Mm -hmm. Doing the same thing over and over again. So that's why I suggest leading with skills instead and being able to be fluent in what you offer an employer. Actually, a a dear friend had this very situation. She's exactly my age, which is well into middle age. 
And she walked away from a toxic work environment, and mm-hmm. she knew she was lucky to be able to walk away, but mm-hmm. she she wanted to find another job. And, mm-hmm. and she was able to focus on her skills and not her experience, but what she could do, looking at what they were requiring and talking about that she understood what was necessary to be successful in that job. And you can learn this from the job description. You can learn this from talking to people in the company the, and, and going in saying, the person you need in this role is going to have to blah, 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 blah. And guess what? As people who have the kind of experience we have, we know that intuitively. We've got the wisdom. We've got the perspective. We know what's necessary. We should say it out loud. You need X, Y, Z. I bring A, B, C. I think this, I, I think that this is precisely what you need for this role and talk about what needs to get done, not how much experience you have. And she got a job at Google. Google, which is known for hiring young people, right? And because she proved she could solve their problem. I really, really appreciate your starting with compassion and recognizing that there is grief involved. There because is. Because so many times I hear when somebody is making, you know, advising someone or writing about this thing is jumping up to action. When the reality is, especially, if, you know, you're a senior level person, you're experienced professional to your point. Our identities are so attached to what we do. And then when we get laid off, it hurts. It hurts. And so I truly, truly appreciate that you you said that because you've lost something. We should give ourselves some time to grieve about that thing that we lost and not be embarrassed about that we're sad that we lost it. And not be embarrassed that what other people define as taking action is not necessarily the best thing for us to do. So... When our partners, it's like, what it, are you doing? Are you applying? Have you talked to headhunters? Like, right? That's the question. <laughs> this is the this is the issue. The partner who you know has their own concerns and has a vested interest, and and the family member who is saying, you know, how many jobs did you apply for today? And I think that let's put together is, a spreadsheet with all. Yes. The- <laughs> Yes. And so what I, what I say to to help people is, you know, our partners have a right to know. The people who love us have a right to know what, what we're doing. So let's decide how that's going to happen in a way that gives us power. Let's recognize that they're just feeling, you know, completely out of control. They just need reassurance. So let's put a date on the calendar mm-hmm. once a week when we give them an update, as as complete an update as we can, with as much generosity as we can, and a, and a, a positive spirit of, I want to share this with you because I know you're concerned. Mm-hmm. I want to let you know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But then that the partner agrees in exchange for that, we will have other conversations about <laughs> other topics. <laughs> We we will not we will not begin every dinner with you know did you talk to so and so right <laughs> exactly because it's so unfair it adds to the stress level and it can be devastating to a relationship mm-hmm. if you take that approach mm-hmm. so I think when somebody is is laid off it's really 
uh, important that you allow yourself the space to think about what's next. Mm -hmm. You can still be actively pursuing things. Mm -hmm. You should have a plan. Mm -hmm. You should be active. You should not be doing nothing and collecting your severance pay because that will actually put you at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. One mistake I see that's tempting is when you get a generous severance, it's tempting to say, "Ah, just going to take a break. Yes. This is not what I'm talking about when I say give yourself space. What I'm talking about is that the internal work of identifying our skills and considering what's next lives very well in these first, you know, weeks and a month or so past the layoff. That is the time to give yourself the space to really think about things and reach out to people. Mm-hmm. And let them know there is no shame in this. Yes. Yeah. Let the people that, that love you know, give them a way to help you. And that could be, you know, once you've decided what your next step is, that could be as something as simple as here are five companies I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. These are my target organizations. They hire people who do what I do. You know, it feels like a good culture. Do you know anybody there? I wonder if you could provide an introduction. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to find out a little bit more about that company. Excellent. I'm doing some research. And this this gives those well-intentioned people <laughs> at the family reunion something to do. Oh my goodness, yes. Because to your point, they really are concerned about us. Yes. So let's help them help us. Yes. <laughs> We have been peripherally talking about your work. Could you talk a little bit more explicitly about what it is that you actually do and how people can find you wherever you are? Yes, absolutely. I have had a lifelong fascination with how we choose careers and sometimes careers choose us. And that has led me to, you know, uh, a, a real desire to help people be more intentional with those choices so that we can all find great work. And when I was laid off, uh, I decided to document my process. I knew that having been a career coach, having been a recruiter myself, having been a hiring manager and sat around all sides of the, you know, the job search equation, I knew I had some expertise to share, Mm -hmm. but what I wanted to do was develop a system. And that is what I've done. Uh, Avara has a, has a proven system that has helped people find work that works for them, find a great fit. There's a, you know, instead of this, uh, apply, 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 we actually have a, a proven path and we work through strategies. This can be in private career coaching. I also offer online, an online course. And I think your listeners may be interested in something I put together because, you know, I firmly believe that this whole business of navigating a job search, it should not be some special sauce for the privileged few. You know, it shouldn't even be something that's only out there for my, my clients, people who can afford private coaching. It should be out there for everyone. So my pandemic project was to put together a 10 days to jumpstart your job search. It is a program that is absolutely free. You get 10 emails for 10 days with a video from me talking about where to start properly, how to start, 
what to do, some of the nuances of things we've discussed today, like networking and using LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. and even something as basic as how should you really answer the question, tell me about yourself. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yes. And that's that's available on my website, www.avaracareers.com. Uh, is my website. You can do slash subscribe if you want to sign up for the 10-day program. And you can follow me on on uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm at Sarah B. Andrus, A-N-D-R-U-S. And Sarah's with an H. And I'm on Twitter at Sarah B.A. And Facebook at Avara Careers. Cool beans. Well, I'm going to put a link to all of those things on the show notes for our listeners. The mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And this is a phrase that I like to explore with the guests on the show. So if I offer that phrase to you, celebrate midlife, what springs to mind? You know, what really comes to my mind is this is our time to shine. This is a time when we've managed to gain some mastery over some things. And we've got some wisdom to share. And I I like to think of Madeline Albright. I have a quote of hers above my desk. And it says, uh, it took me quite a long time to find my voice. And now that I have it, I am not going to be silent. I think that the world needs us in in our wisdom and our perspective. Uh, and we have a lot to share, so we should not be silent. At 20, I was naive, and my reach often exceeded my grasp. Now I recognize that I may be good at a lot of things. I don't necessarily enjoy all of those things, so I choose to focus on work that actually gives me energy and joy. I have always believed in this cliche, it's never too late. We can always remake ourselves and pivot to new paths, but we have to learn new strategies and tactics because how we did it in our 20s may not be as effective anymore. I hope this episode gave you new ideas and helped you craft your strategy for a midlife career transition. To learn more about Sarah Baker Andrews, you can visit her website at avaracareers.com. If you head on to the show notes, you're going to find all the links, including the links to her social media accounts and the highlights of this episode. You're going to find the show notes at secondbreaks.com. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please do me a solid and share it with your friends. You can tell them about this specific episode, what you learned about this the topics that we talked about with Sarah, or you can tell them about the podcast in general. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously in growing our community of thriving midlifers, and I would be so grateful. In our next episode, I'm going to be joined by Hilary Ray. She is an award-winning storyteller and a communications consultant. We talk about how to use powerful stories to help us make sense of our personal narratives and tell others our stories in a way that serves our purpose. This is such a relevant topic, I think, especially for us midlifers who are going through or in the middle of midlife transitions and pivots. 
and uh, we want to make sure that we're able to tell our stories in a way that we want to, in a way that serves us. I don't want you to miss that episode and any of the future episodes for that matter. So now is a good time to hit follow or subscribe on whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, you know, the usual suspects, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, all the places where you like listening to podcasts, you will find Second Breaks. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Hillary Ray. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.